The other night, um, instead of watching television, basketball, I, I'm not a basketball fan. My wife is. But I was um, upstairs in my office, and I was cleaning out a drawer. And I found this. <clears throat> I found this thing. And I looked at it, and I thought, I'm going to throw that away. And then I started looking, I thought, that is really good. And, and, and folks, I don't know where it came from. I don't know whether I wrote this. I mean, I wrote it. But I don't know whether it's a summary of an article or a book or a tape. I don't know where it came from. It, and, and normally I write that stuff on here, but I didn't. <clears throat> but it had something to do, the, the title of it was Eternity. And because I was talking about the resurrection here on Wednesday night, I thought, well, let me read that. And I thought, there's stuff in here that I want to say to you tonight about eternity. Now, why did we come to that? Well, as you know, we're studying the Apostles' Creed. We're at that, that clause in the Apostles' Creed that says, on the third day he rose again from the dead. <clears throat> and we've spent two weeks on the resurrection. And last week we, um, we went through 1 Corinthians 15. And we came to verse 19, and I told you that I was going to come back to it. And, I, and if you've got your Bible open, I'm at 1 Corinthians 15, 19. And <clears throat> the text says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people almost to be <clears throat> Guys, the argument of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is to defend the resurrection. Okay? That was his intent, to defend the resurrection. So let's just imagine uh, for a moment that I have succeeded with my massive rhetorical skills in convincing you that, um, that the truth, uh, uh, that I've convinced you of the truth of the resurrection. And then I went on to add something about uh, because we are in union with Christ, we will resurrect too. Okay? But that wasn't Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> he was merely defending the resurrection. But I want to do something else tonight that Paul wasn't doing in this text. I want to talk about um, the resurrection being a, chain, uh, being a game changer in this life. That's, that's the, the phrase that I'm lifting out of 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection in, affecting in this life. Now, with that introduction, I, I want to invite you to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians, chapter 1. I'm going to read you four or five verses. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Let me just say one, you know, kind of uh, summary, excuse me, <coughs> and then move on. All right, guys. Ephesians 1 has got to be the richest, one of the richest chapters in all the Bible. But after all this stuff that's gone on in the, four, the first 14 verses, he comes to verse 15 and he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers. <clears throat> um, now, so what he says in verses 15 and 16 is that I just heard that there's been a lot of people converted in Ephesus. I've heard that people have become Christians in Ephesus, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really so thrilled that all these people have come to know Christ in, in Ephesus. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you people who've just come to know Christ in, in Ephesus. Okay? <clears throat> okay. Um, verse 17. Uh, Paul, 
what is it exactly that you're praying for these new Christians in Ephesus? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Okay, what is Paul praying for? Well, he's praying for a lot of things. Um, He wants to see God uh, grant you wisdom. And uh, that you might know a lot of things about the revelation of the knowledge of him. He wants you to know him better. Yes, 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 yes. But one of the specifics that he's praying for, for these new Christians in Ephesus, is this. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Keep reading with me. Uh, What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? In what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. He wants God to reveal to you or impress you with his great power and might. What kind of power and might? Well, the same power and might that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is, uh, that is named. <clears throat> now listen, look at this. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. <clears throat> Paul wants you to know something of the hope to which you have been called. He wants you to know about the power and the might of God that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the same might and power that he's going to use to raise you from the dead. Now, gang, all of that is, is just too wonderful to absorb. So Paul asks for God to show it to us. Show them, Lord. Show them what the hope is that, they, that, that is theirs. And show them, Lord, of the power and might, the same power that you used to raise Jesus from the dead, that's going to that's gonna be used in them. <clears throat> um, because, you see, ladies and gentlemen, if we were to see that, all of our visceral and emotional reactions to this troubled world in which we live would change. The, um, those, those demanding and radical commands of the New Testament would not be quite so strange. Um, when you're supposed to turn the cheek and um, uh, pray for those who persecute you and all that stuff, if we only knew something of the hope to which we have been called, then it would change the way that we applied all of these ethical demands that are made on us in the New Testament. <clears throat> now, let me try to illustrate that, guys. Um. Let's say 
you're a convicted criminal and you're facing the electric chair. And they come to you and they say, um, what would you like for your last meal? Now guys, seldom do people who are facing the electric chair in a matter of hours, seldom do those people ask for steamed broccoli and tofu. Um, <clears throat> because you're not um, of, you know, of your health. You're not thinking of that which is the healthiest. No, no, what you're thinking is, if this is it, then I'm going to eat the most pleasurable, the most enjoyable meal possible. Why did you come to that conclusion? Well, because of your view of what awaits you. I'll give you another one. Change that. Change, uh, you're not a criminal, you're not about to be electrocuted, you're, um, you're young and uh, you're just starting off in your career. Tell me, how many of you who are, um, I mean any of us, whether you're young or not, how many of you eat anything you want and as much of it as you want? How many of you? <laughs> we do have one. <clears throat> well, and he weighs 387 pounds. Um, <clears throat> I mean, how many of us would do something like that? Well, we wouldn't. Why? Well, because it's the impact of the future on us in the present. You see that? Let me give you one more. <clears throat> Let's say that um, two people were offered the same job. It was a very boring job. They were going to put widgets in boxes. And they had to work 12 hours a day, 365 straight days without a day off. 12 hours a day. Dimly lit place. <clears throat> um, one of the persons that was hired was told, at the end of those 365 days, You will be given $10,000. The other one was told, at the end of those 365 days, you will be given $10 million. Now tell me, which one of those would have the most stick to Which one would have the most spring in his step? Which one of them would be the happiest? Kind of obvious, isn't it? But why? Well, because the prospects of the future have impacted the way he conducts himself in his present. <clears throat> That's what Paul knew. When he says, oh God, would you let them see the hope that is theirs? Guys, I'm saying to you that eternity is a game changer. It's a game changer 
in terms of where we spend eternity and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'll fly away, oh glory. Yeah, it's, it's a game changer of that. But it is also a game changer now. Guys, you will never survive the onslaught of, a, of the culture on biblical faith without this. Remembering that this life is not all there is. All of us are heading to a forever of some kind. And trying to ignore that is useless. And you know why it's useless? Because Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. So as much as we may try to cover up all of our fears of eternity, etc., etc., you're never going to succeed. Because God has stuck this little thing in your heart, and it's called eternity. And your understanding of that will quantifiably change the way that you live right now. It'll change the choices that you make. And, 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 and let me say more. Guys, forgetting this hope that is ours almost invariably leads to a self-absorbed meism. Because, you see, this moment is all there is. Um, so I've got to drain it of all the pleasure and the fun that I can, that I can get. So we use... We use sex, we use money, uh, as if life was going nowhere. <clears throat> Gang, um, one, of the, one of the trickier things in this whole discussion is that things, material things, can satisfy. They can temporarily let me illustrate in fact i meant to bring them over here so maybe somebody would take them from me um you know we don't we don't buy cds anymore i mean we all just download them from you know the app store uh itunes so we don't even buy them we just put them on our phone and listen you know put the things on here you know <clears throat> but do you remember when we used to buy cds and you had you had to have a cd because this you just love this song you just loved it you love two songs on there. Oh, it was just great. What your favorite artist? So you bought it. Paid twelve ninety five. Get yourself a CD. So you listen to it, and about the twelfth time you listen to it, I don't listen to that anymore. That's enough. And you know where it is? It's in some drawer. I've got a whole box of them. I meant to bring them so that somebody would take them. I don't even want them, <clears throat> but I had to have them then. All, all I'm trying to illustrate, guys, is let me very frankly forget a CD, buy a car, or buy a house at Pickwick, and and um, at some point you're going to say, "Oh, I don't want to have to drive all the way over there." I mean, uh, boy, it was great for you know while the kids and I just. Ugh. 
But material things can satisfy you temporarily. Sin is enjoyable temporarily. Because without remembering eternity, you conclude, if I only had, hmm, that's my way of life. So, because I have forgotten eternity, I eat everything I want and as much of it as I want. And for the moment, it is very satisfying. When you forget eternity, ladies and gentlemen, you try to make earth heaven. Someone called it location amnesia. Folks, this world is broken. Faith waits on a, on a hope to come. <clears throat> and that's why Paul prays this for the Ephesian Christians. But because we forget that, we pile up loads of debt and piles of possessions because they did bring a temporary enjoyment. And I'm constantly thinking... If I only had that, that of course is until you get it. Now, how to escape? How do we get out of this maze, this rat race, this, this treadmill? Eternity. Um, I'm saying to you folks that eternity is a game changer. And I, I want to give you some steps. Everybody's looking for steps. But they're really not that. They're just insights, which I hope will help us. Will, hope us, will help us to understand the hope that is ours. All right, guys, first, Scripture is meant to transform you. Do you know that's why we study it? You, you women who come over here on Tuesday mornings, keep coming. Because what Scripture is doing is that it is radically altering the way that you view things. Um, <clears throat> as we look in here, we get an opportunity to eavesdrop on eternity. And when we do, our souls respond by saying, Oh, I so hope that's true. Like, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. I hope. So, what you do when you're exposing yourself to this book, it's supposed to transform you, and it transforms you by showing you things that are true about your eternity. By being reminded of eternity, 
I am told, again and again, that I am designed for something fundamentally bigger than the right now, the right here. Meaning in life far supersedes some kind of corporate success. When and where and who is going to tell you that? They're going to tell you to buy some more CDs. To get another something. And as I said, the trickier part is it'll satisfy for a while. And then you'll wonder... Why did I buy this dead gum thing? Guys, what the scriptures remind us of is that this is not a destination. This life is a preparation for a final destination. And that's why Paul wants God to convince those new Ephesian Christians of the hope that they have. Oh God, would you convince them Would you convince them, Lord, that this is not um, a destination, but that this is just a dress rehearsal for the final destination? Would Would you let them know that? Because that will change them. So, So then we begin to view life not as something from which we extract meaning. We begin to look at all of life as stewardship. Um... Eternity asks me, what will ultimately satisfy me? There's a lot of people asking you that. Eternity asks you that too. But we have bought into a lie. And the amazing thing is, We know it. And yet we keep going back. We sin. We suffer. But then we choose to sin again. What does that tell you about yourself? (laughs) What does that tell you about how ravaged we are by the fall? (coughs) Guys, It's eternity that clarifies my values. We all have a values problem. And the values that that are in the heart tend to bubble up to the surface from time to time. And then I'm allowed to see what really is in my heart. And um, it's not often pretty. Sometimes I get a chance to find out what I really worship. And one of the things that will tell you what you really worship is, what do I spend my month on? What do I spend my time on? What do I spend my money on? And it's eternity, ladies and gentlemen, that will help us clarify values to the point that we We view this for what it is. 
most of us live like we're about to be electrocuted. And so give us the prime rib and the baked potato. Because this is where I'm really going to find satisfaction. And there ain't a person in this room that doesn't know that that's not true. And yet, we keep going back and making the same mistake. So the step, folks, is that we continually expose ourselves to the value system that Scripture gives us and the eternity that is described there. Do you not find it interesting that when Paul says, I'm really praying for you guys, that he doesn't pray for, I hope they don't suffer for their faith. I hope they um, have a good crop so that they can eat well. He didn't pray for that. I hope that they find themselves a good preacher because you know that church there is really going to need some good, good, strong leadership. He didn't pray that. He prays that God's people will know the hope of the calling that is theirs. Because that's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, that will cut all of this tentacle to a place that is not the final destination in the first place. Now, let me wrap this up. So how do we get a good eternity? We're rescued. <laughs> um, you cannot save yourself by your marvelous performances. All of those self-salvation strategies that you've adopted over the years about how you're going to... Um, live in such a hunky-dory fashion that God is going to be impressed and none of that will work, ladies and gentlemen, so give it up. May I be the first to inform you that our performance is bad, real bad. Even the best of it as Augustine said, even our most saintly acts are nothing but splendid sins. Our performance is bad. Christ's performance is perfect. And it's the only acceptable currency in heaven. So how do I have a good eternity? I get rescued from all of those foolish self-salvation strategies and find myself glorying in the finished work of Christ. Let me tell you one quick story and I'm done. I think I've said this before, but I I love the... When our girls were small... Um, we would have talking time at, before they went to bed, and, and uh, we would talk, and I would read, and we would pray, and you know, I'd go from bedroom to bedroom, did it three times, and, and uh, sometimes they would all get together. And, 
But one of the books that we used to read that I really love, and I, and I, I think I because somebody, somebody around here mentioned that they had it. It was a book called Small Pig. And uh, Small Pig lived on a farm, and, and Small Pig uh, loved to sit down and sink down to the nice soft mud. And that was the refrain of the book. He loved to sit down and sink down in the nice soft mud over and over and over again. And Small Pig loved to sit down and sink down in the nice, small, in the, in the nice soft mud. Well, um, the farmer's wife decided she was going to clean up the farm. And so she cleaned up the whole farm, including the little pigsty. And so all that soft mud that was there um, was gone. And so um, um, Small Pig was mad, and so he left and went to the city. And he found an area in the city where they were pouring some fresh concrete. And so Small Pig got into the concrete and sat down and sank down in the uh, nice soft concrete. And as you can imagine, it hardened and he was in big trouble. He had to be... You had to be rescued. Here's what I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen. How do you have a good eternity? You sit down. And you sink down. In the nice, warm righteousness of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is acceptable in heaven. Our Father, would you um, help us to modify all of this, this worldly influence that keeps trying to convince us to try and make earth heaven. And we have tried and tried, and it just won't do it. So Father, would you, um, would you expose this again and again to those clarifying values of the scriptures so that we, like these Ephesian Christians, might know the hope that is ours, a hope of a new life based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because he lives, that same eternal life awaits us. Would you use that, O oh God? to help remake us into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen.